Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. My name is Joe Devine and today I'm joined firstly by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello Seb. Hi Joe. How are you? I'm in isolation so I'm, I'm getting a bit weird. I mean yes. um, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's different. It's really, really strange. And especially you're if you're writing about something. Well, it, I, I, my job is now to write about something and to talk about something which doesn't technically exist. So, yes. Yeah. Psychologically, Isolation. he knows where I'm headed for. Yeah. Mm. Well, we'll find out in July when you're still inside. Um, anyway, Seb and I were joined by Liam Twomey of The Athletic today to talk all about Chelsea. This was a really fun one. I really enjoyed this. I'm very grateful for, uh, for, for, to Liam for coming. Um, what a knowledgeable guy, hey? Yeah, he's super knowledgeable. Nice bloke as well. I, um, I've uh, shared press boxes with Liam and he's, uh, he's a nice guy. So uh, good, good to finally have him on. Absolutely. So what we talked about was, is the club for sale? Uh, how has Lampard managed without the summer transfer window? Um, in fact, has it worked in his favour, which was interesting? Uh, who's likely uh, on the radar in terms of incoming players or more likely uh, positions that will be targeted? A little bit about Petr Cech's uh, evolving role, a little bit about the finances. There was loads of stuff. I'm going to say that my favourite moment of this podcast, Seb, was when uh, Liam uh, said that uh, the academy staff are delighted that some players are finally being used because I'd never considered them before. I'd always thought was it was it related to Chelsea about the players who must be disappointed young players going there thinking there is no route to the first team. I'd never considered that there were men and women working tirelessly over the last 10 years to create exceptional footballers who never ever played for the first team. That must have been heartbreaking. All for the aim of uh, of, of equipping Vitessa or you know someone in the, in the football league. Actually my, my favourite bit was a little chat about, um, about the recruiting structure. I thought that was interesting. Liam, um, yeah, because it, it's been quite vague. I mean, Chelsea's recruiting has been quite a nebulous process for, for quite some time. So he, um, he really added some clarity there. Mm, I feel like it, this, this one really lives up to its name of uh, what's going on at or everything you need to know about Chelsea. What um, might be going on at Chelsea were the football to be actually happening. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, um, that. That's very catchy for YouTube. This episode of the podcast is supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online and also the home of Liam Twomey. So I'm sure you'll be uh, checking it out after listening to today's episode. If you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, you can get a seven-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription that works out at £2.50 per month or so. Um, anyway, that's enough from Seb and I for now. Uh, here you are with Liam Twomey. Uh, Liam, is Chelsea for sale? Because I hear that it is. Well, I've not heard anything to say categorically that, that Chelsea's for sale. And certainly if you ask anyone at the club, um, the line has never changed over the last 18 months to two years. The response you get back is always that Abramovich is as committed as he's ever been. Um, any approaches for the club have been fairly swiftly rebuffed and he, he's not looking to sell. Now you can read into that what you want but that is that is the response and I, th I th the way I always look at this when it comes to judging Abramovich's commitment to Chelsea um, is that you have to judge him by actions you can't judge him by words because there aren't any he never talks right, yeah. so um, but you can you can judge him by the different actions that he's taken over the last sort of year or so and I think there's two main aspects to that one is the um, campaign against anti-semitism that Chelsea have launched which is really kind of unique I think among sports clubs all over the world never mind just football in terms of the extent and the the resources that they have poured into uh, that campaign and that is something that's personally very important to Abramovich so the fact that he is now using um, Chelsea as a platform for that I think has, has made owning Chelsea more important to him than perhaps it's ever been because football is as we're finding out in these times uh, relatively trivial um, and there are a lot of things more important and, and mm. he's using this to kind of send a message to the wider world about something that is very personally uh, relevant to him and the other aspect is that if you look at Chelsea's last financial accounts Abramovich poured £247 million of his personal wealth into the club last year in what would otherwise have been a very heavily loss-making year or they wouldn't have been able to spend as much as they did in the transfer market. So I don't think you 
you pour that much money into a club in the space of 12 months if you are not still committed. Now, whether whether he has a price is another question, mm. but that's not something I've I've heard categorically. That's interesting. I spoke to uh, Murad Ahmed from uh, Financial Times uh, for a podcast last week, and uh, he said, well, we were talking about a story that he wrote on Jim Ratcliffe, who's this British billionaire uh, who owns mm. a, a company, uh, I think they're called Eonis or something. Ineos. In Ineos, yeah. that's the one, yes. Um, I, for some reason, I can't ever say that name. Um, <laughs> but one of the things he said, and I suppose this is, this is more sort of towards your second definition of whether the club is available or not does he have a prize Jim Ratcliffe claims that every top six club is for sale for the right price presumably that's just in the way that that every company is for sale for the, for the right price rather than it being specific to Chelsea do you think yeah I mean this is capitalism isn't it <laughs> sure. I think if you if you throw enough money at anything I think you can make someone think about selling right uh, okay but but it's it's so so difficult to you know you're talking about seeing into the mind of Abramovich and this is maybe the most reclusive owner of any sports club in the world. Yeah. Um, though maybe Stan Kroenke uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> could, could give him a run for his money. But uh, but yeah, it's it's so difficult to know what Abramovich is thinking, which is why I often default to judging him by his actions. Um, but I, I think with with specifically Ratcliffe um he has since bought Nice hasn't he yeah. in in France and uh and I think there was a sense that he he looked at Chelsea um I think he went to the club when, and looked I, when around, I made right? inquiry sorry apparently he went to the club and and, and and looked around and was was sort of taken around well I think the 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 the, the impression I got from that was that he was at one point um owner of a corporate box i think at chelsea he was he was kind of like in the, in the vip bracket of people who attended games and one of the perks of that was that you you could get a tour of cobham it wasn't as if he was shown around cobham as the prospective new owner of chelsea oh that's interesting um, he was shown around as a vip um so i, th- I think those two events him bidding for the club and him being shown around the training ground were not necessarily linked. And I think there was a fair bit of time between the two, but he, he certainly showed an interest and made an inquiry. My understanding is that inquiry never got beyond an initial, um, kind of, would this be a possibility? The answer came back. No, they never got round to discussing figures as far as I'm aware. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, and I, I'm not aware of any conversation about Chelsea that has, that has gotten as far as Abramovich stating an asking price. I think whenever you see an asking price for Chelsea, it's people around the club or maybe around money money circles uh, making an estimate of what they think would make Abramovich think. Right. And so have the rumours about this really just come from um, Abramovich having his uh, visa taken away and around the same time that he became um, an Israeli uh, citizen, no longer able to work in the UK? Do, do the rumours just uh, come from there? Well, I th- yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the noise isn't coming from nowhere, is it? I mean, you, you have to ask why there are such a constant stream of stories suggesting that people are interested. And I think maybe there is an element of people seeing what what Abramovich's situation is in terms of the standoff with the UK government, the issues he's had with his visa, um, and thinking there is an opening there. You know, whether there actually is one or not is another question, but that perception can be reality. And, and I think if if people with the funds to buy Chelsea perceive it to be available, then they're going to make those inquiries and try to begin those conversations. Um, Abramovich has not, has not been to Chelsea, but he has still been involved. You know, whenever they've played abroad, he was he was in Baku for the Europa League final. He was in Boston for the uh, game against anti-Semitism. He was, I believe, in Nice for pre-season last year, and he also met the Chelsea women's team in Israel. So, when they have not been on UK soil, he has still been present. And my understanding is that. The people at the club who report directly to him, among them Marina Granovskaya, are in 
daily contact with him about the running of the club. They don't necessarily run every decision by by him because he he delegates a lot more than he than he used to. But um, he is he still does take an active interest. Uh, Liam, what, how what, how much effect has the um uh, have the, the the changes with the stadium plans um, had on this? I mean, am I right in thinking that um that the uh, the original planning permission is about to expire either very very soon or or maybe maybe it just has? Yeah. So the the planning permission expires on March 31st and Chelsea released a statement this week saying that they were going to allow that deadline to pass without action Uh, that's been pretty clear for some time to be honest with Simon Johnson and I wrote a piece a couple of months ago so uh, kind of a state of play look at, at Chelsea Stadium project and, and it was already clear at that point that that, that it was on indefinite hold uh, it has been ever since they released that very short statement um, in response very to the short UK and very government. vague statement yeah. yes yeah unfavourable investment climate yeah it could uh, mean literally anything at all that couldn't it it could and I think it was there was kind of a dual meaning to it because I think uh I think part of it was that Abramovich was seeking external funding for the for the stadium project because the Stamford Bridge redevelopment had spiralled in terms of costs. It was initially expected to be about five hundred million pounds, and it and costs, if we if if reports were to believe be believed, had gone up towards a billion. Uh, which would make it the most expensive stadium project, maybe even more expensive than Wembley. Um, so Abramovich wasn't going to finance that all from his own pocket. He was looking for external funding. And, and so that, that I think, is uh, maybe part of the unfavourable investment climate, particularly post-Brexit. I got a, yeah. a sense from the club that, that the, the uncertainty caused by the Brexit vote uh, had had an impact, I think, on their ability to to secure funding on 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 the kind of terms they were looking for, and also unfavourable investment climate can also be read as I'm not financing a one billion pound construction project that I can't visit, and uh, and, and and that's certainly part. Which is of quite this, a reasonable you know. position, actually. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly part of this. I think Abramovich is. It, is very annoyed still and you still get that sense when you talk to people who who report to him at Chelsea that he's very annoyed at everything that's happened with the with the UK government he feels he's been made some a kind of scapegoat um can you can you explain that to, of, to listeners who, who may not have uh, followed the stories up to this point Liam I mean it came around after the uh, well suspiciously close to the situation with the Salisbury attack last year right yes yeah, so Theresa May was still Prime Minister. Uh, the Salisbury attack happens, and I think the UK government take it's it's so strange as a Chelsea reporter to have to <laughs> look into these events and have these influence your your worldview. But um, but yeah, so the UK government I think announced steps to reassess who was given Tier One investor visas. Uh, so the Tier One investor visa, you have to reapply every five years and that's what Abramovich has been doing ever since he bought Chelsea um, and investing in 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 the UK economy Um, it's never been a problem for him but in the wake of Salisbury and the kind of chilling of relations between the UK government and the Russian government um, they the UK government signaled that they were going to get tough on who was granted these investor visas uh, that they were talking about demanding evidence of where the the person's money has come from and, and different requirements. And it, it was made pretty clear that, uh, I, as far as I understand it, it was made pretty clear behind the scenes that um, Abramovich would probably not be given one. As it was, it wasn't formally rejected. They were just delaying. And then Abramovich withdrew the application. And he has not reapplied since. I think that, so that, that there's a... There's a there's a been a chilling effect on both sides. I think Abramovich is not going to reapply, and as far as I'm aware, and the UK government, uh, uh, their position, I don't think has has necessarily changed. And in the meantime, Abramovich got Israeli citizenship, which means he can actually visit the UK on his Israeli passport. But the UK government also briefed that anyone who does that cannot do any work during their visit now what is classed as work is visiting Stanford Bridge 
the club you own is that considered work you know i think there's a lot of gray area there and it, it's all a big political mess and i think that's why we haven't seen abramovich in the uk since all of it happened it's a really interesting story um and it you know it becomes sort of even more interesting when you consider as you said already liam that he's actually spent 247 million pounds of his own money in the last year uh, on or the, the year before last i said 2018 on, on chelsea much of which has gone on, on on transfers presumably um can i start by asking you how this is going to impact financial fair play because i believe it was 101.8 million pounds loss and that was the biggest since 2005 which also included Courtois sale so it would have been much bigger without that what's the impact on FFP of a loss that size at the moment yeah so we know that the requirements for FFP is that in a in any sort of rolling three-year monitoring period you can't lose more than 30 million pounds over that time so Chelsea posted a fairly big loss uh, last year but they did post um two fairly significant profits before that um so they they are still in a decent position and also they they banked i think they'd already banked 115.4 million from player sales for next year's accounts and that includes the hazard sale to real madrid so that isn't in the accounts we're talking about then you add the fact that they are back in the champions league which is what another thing that made a huge difference to those accounts you know chelsea won the europa league and it still didn't even come close to replicating the income that they'd had from reaching the round of 16 under antonio conte of the champions league the year before that's just the difference between those two competitions um so it wasn't ideal for Chelsea, certainly. And without Abramovich's investment, they either would have recorded a much bigger loss or they just couldn't have gone out and signed Kepper and Jorginho and some of the other big deals they did. Um, so there would have been a reassessment. But my understanding is that, and this is all with the caveat of, we don't know how this shutdown is going to affect everything. You know, will UEFA suspend FFP? Will will we see a massive global slowdown of the transfer market? But before all of this happened, Chelsea were in a pretty good position, provided they got top four this year, to go out and spend pretty big. Um, uh, in, and I think they were looking at targeted positions because they... They have a core now of young players that they are happy to build around, that they are now confident are going to be a big part of Chelsea for the next you know, five to ten years. And now it's quality rather than quantity around those. So they, they were confident they would have the funds to do that and they were confident they would have the, the means to do that. Liam, so this season, obviously, we've seen the breakthrough of um, you know a kind of a, a little cabal of Chelsea players um, from the academy. Is there a level beneath players like Rhys James and Billy Gilmore, uh, players who are kind of marked for for progression either next season or the one after? Yeah, so I think um, you, you've seen a couple of them it get get scattered minutes this season in the cup competitions. I mean, you've got Al- Armando Brogia, the striker who came on against Everton, um, Tino Angerin as well. I think he's probably the biggest uh, hope in the current development um, squad. Was Angerin the one that, uh, that, that tried a 35-yard volley with his first touch in the Premier League? Yeah, which I, ma- <laughs> I massively appreciate. You know, No, you've, got you only, to, you've, you've absolutely got to do that. You, if, you, if that chance exists, you've got to take it. You only get one Premier League debut right. to shoot your shot. You know, you could be a hero forever. You could be, you, you could start your Premier League career like Danny Rose. That would be mm. incredible. Um, yeah, so everyone's very excited about Andrew. He's he's been compared a little bit to to Loftus Cheek, which I understand in some ways, given how physically de- developed he is for his age. But they're also very different players. He's much more of a a number ten winger type, very skillful, um, very good one on one. And uh, you also have Ian Matson, the Dutch left back, who just signed a new contract. Um, who I think Chelsea are looking at as as maybe backing up whoever the left back is next year, because I don't think they regard Alonso or Emerson as long term solutions in that position. No. Um, and then you you look at some of the youngsters out on loan as well. I mean, Ethan Ampadu's had a tough year in in Germany, but if you ask him he says he's learned a lot even when he's not been playing uh, under Julian Nagelsmann and and you also have Conor Gallagher who's been you know tearing up in the championship for two different clubs now so 
Lampard is going to have some big decisions to make ahead of next season because I think it's impossible for him to A, give all of these players the, the development opportunities they need and B, keep them all happy. Um, but the, these are problems that Chelsea would have killed to have even two years ago. You know, that the, the idea that they've got so many players coming through f- from the academy that they've they've actually got too many and they've they've yeah. got to make tough decisions is a, is a, a world away from where they were when they were having to sign the likes of Danny Drinkwater to fill a homegrown <laughs> quota so um, it, it's a good position for them to be in and I think they recognise that Lampard and, and, and Jody Morris Joe Edwards the work they've done this year uh, has saved the club millions in the long term yeah. can I just you you, you, you mentioned Marcus Alonso um, at the beginning of that can I ask what actually happened with him? Because I remember being in a Maurizio Sarri press conference right at the beginning of his time at the club, beginning of last season, and he talked to Alonso as, I mean, I kind of favourably as the best left back in, in European football, which um, was probably not quite true. But even so, his, his standing was very high at Stamford Bridge. What happened between now and and then, where he seemed to sort of seemed to drift out of the side, but also become almost a persona non grata at some point during last season? Well, I think uh, I think the, the best analogy to Marcus Alonso is that as a left back, he's Clark Kent, and and as a as a left wing back, he's Superman. <laughs> it, he's he's a really really unusual player. I've never seen a, a player yeah. like him. I think uh, in in that wing back system that, that Conte introduced in the title winning season, he's such a unique weapon because he he's technically absolutely exquisite. Yeah, he, he he's maybe got the best technique at Chelsea with that left foot, especially in yep. terms of striking the ball. Um, and he's also got the instincts of a striker in the final third in terms of his anticipation, his movement. Uh, you know, I was struck by his second goal against Bournemouth. Actually, I was at that game too. Season. It was a real centre forwards finish, wasn't it? Just to be in that it position really was. to take the chance. Yeah, absolutely. He he actually reminds me a little bit of. If you were to reimagine Frank Lampard as a wing back, it would be Marcus Alonso. You know, not the not not the fastest, um, but keeps himself in good condition, good stamina to get up and down, and in the final third, just finds a way to get the ball into the net from from all angles, and that makes him a really valuable player. But on the other side of it, if you're not going to play a wing back system, yeah. he's not he's not tactically positioned. You know, he's not positionally good enough to defend his own spot uh, without the cover of another centre back patrolling the space behind him, and he's also physically too limited in terms of his lack of speed to be able to keep up with the kind of wingers that you regularly see in the Premier League, in particular, and uh, and that makes him a, a difficult player to build around if you're not playing wing backs it's hard to see how he fits in. And at the same time, he signed a new long-term contract at Chelsea um, in the Sarri season, which has him on a six-figure weekly wage, which if he's not going to be your first choice in that position, isn't really tenable. Just a quick interruption in today's episode for me to remind you that we are supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. If you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, you can get a seven-day free trial to read things such as Unwritten, Europe's Golden Boot, The Pain, The Drama and The Glory. Seb? Yeah, it's great. It's by Adam Hurry, this um, football cliches on Twitter. He um, he basically investigates all the old anomalies which used to take place with... Um, with uh, anointing a top scorer from the continent because obviously you'd have your your, your Alan Shearer's and your um, your original Ronaldo's rattling in the goals in, in sort of elite leagues and then every now and again you'd, you'd get somebody in Romania who scored sort of 40 in 13 <laughs> games somehow and um, and that's a, that's a bit of a can of worms because it opens a conversation about things like um, you know match fixing and influence and trying to trying to create uh, notoriety for the league by um, unfair means and uh, yeah Adam's done a, a really good piece on it really entertaining good fun Hmm. Well, that's available on The Athletic. That is theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. You can use your seven-day trial to read that and as many things as you can read in seven days. And if you enjoy them, you can take 50% off your annual subscription, which works out to be about £2.50 a month. Hey, in the current climate, what better thing to do than sit at home and read about football and dream that it was happening again and try not to cry? Anyway, back to today's episode. 
There's a few players who are in that situation, I think, aren't there? I mean, I was going to ask you, you mentioned um, that Chelsea are in the position to, to spend big in the summer if they so choose. Um, if that's the case, that's fantastic. But at the same time, the wage bill, um, you reason one of your recent articles with Matt Slater is at 63.9%, or at least it was before Hazard left. So it's probably adjusted a little bit now. But you mentioned Alonso there. There's also Barkley and Giroud who are mentioned in the piece as well as p- uh, players who are earning six-figure salaries and, and not really playing in the first team. So in in the summer, do they let these guys walk away? Do they um, do they let Pedro walk away, for example? Or uh, I know there's been some discussion about Willian as well. Is that how they free up space within the wage bill? And presuming that that is the case, um, which positions are they thinking about targeting in the summer? Sure, yeah. So I think there's going to be some correction to the wage bill on that end. I mean, William, Pedro and Giroud are all free agents. I don't particularly expect any of them to come back. Um, William is looking for a three-year contract, which I don't think he has a hope in hell of getting out of Chelsea, given their track record with players over the age of 30. Mm-hmm. That's why these those talks have been at a standstill for months, and I don't see any development there. Um but you know you look at the likes of Barkley and Alonso I think both could be sold because I think there would be a market for both of them Barkley's an an England international in his prime Chelsea wouldn't actually have to sell him for that much to make a tidy profit on him because they only paid £15 million for him you look at someone like Marcus Alonso I think Antonio Conte would love him back at Inter uh, so that, that that's certainly an option there but the other side to the wage bill is also that the young players that you've brought in this season a lot of them are properly paid now you know Callum Hudson-Odoi is, is now earning six figures you've Mason Mount Reese James um, Fikayo Tamori all these guys have signed new contracts this season and while they may not be on that sort of money they're, they're certainly on on you know your, your standard Chelsea first team wage I think at this point and Tammy Abraham is still holding out because he wants parity at least with, with Hudson-Odoi which given what he's done this season you would think um, he has a case to ask for so uh, the, the the wage bill is going to continue to be a little bit of a balancing act uh, and in some ways that's probably a, a concern that Chelsea should be more mindful of rather than simply transfer fees everyone always talks about oh they've got 200 million 300 million to spend and it's usually a fundamental misunderstanding of the way clubs budget themselves for transfer windows. Wages are the most important expense, not transfer fees. Right, yeah. And can I say that uh, actually thinking about it this summer... I mean, as uh, you know, we caveat this by saying we're really not sure what's going to happen with the transfer window. Um, but were it to go ahead as normal, let's assume, I think all of the top six clubs are in a position where they are likely to sp- to spend big this summer, or might have been otherwise. Mm. I mean, for example, uh, it's been made clear that Manchester United have already sort of spent some of their Pogba money on uh, on Fernandez in, in uh, expectation of selling him in the summer, but are likely to spend bigger as well. Manchester City have just lost the league. Uh, quite amazingly so they'll probably spend some money even with Liverpool who are a smart recruiting club and have done incredible recruitment work over the last few years it seems that the only real uh, step into the market they would make this summer would be for a big marquee purchase to improve one of their already incredible positions and you can see the same even with Tottenham at uh, you know Mourinho is there it's likely that, they, that he will want to, to bring some players and do you think Chelsea are going to face pretty big and stiff competition the next time a window opens? Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly when you're talking about players like Jaden Sancho, you know, I, I think the in the in the modern transfer market there aren't really any undiscovered gems. All of these clubs have global recruitment networks. They're all watching everyone all the time, um, and a lot of them end up chasing the same players. And Sancho will be an exceptional case, even by those standards, because every major European club will want him. He will have his pick, but even some of the lesser targets or some of the less glamorous targets it's very feasible that most of the players Chelsea go for they will be competing against at least one of United Liverpool City I mean they they beat City to Jorginho didn't they um, in the summer of 2018 so that's certainly going to be part of it and I think that's also why you've seen Chelsea make an early signal that they wanted to be really proactive this summer with the signing of Hakim Ziyech there was a lot of surprise around Europe 
with different clubs around Europe about how just how quickly Chelsea moved on that deal ahead of the summer because that's not something English clubs traditionally do. English clubs have a reputation in Europe of being very reactionary, um, not really planning super ahead and then paying massively over the odds once the summer rolls around. <laughs> Whereas other clubs actually, you know, <laughs> think actually about think it. ahead of time and, and you regularly see like Bayern Munich get four or five deals in the can by um, by May almost. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah Ziek I think impressed a lot of people with, with the way Chelsea did that deal. And I think they, they are looking to be very proactive elsewhere. Although with this shutdown, who knows when clubs will be able to buy players and how much they'll be willing to spend once they do. Liam, can we talk about Ziyech for just a minute? I um, mm. I mean, I, I still don't really feel like I know what he is. I mean, because I, I haven't seen enough of him in a, in what I, I term a proper context. Like I've, I've seen, he's a bundle of fun, Seb. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's undisputably a bundle of fun, and he is um, for as long as football exists. That that um, that little video clip of him uh, pinging a fifty-yard ball across the pitch will be uh, be on Twitter. But who do you think is is going to be the victim at Chelsea who uh, who ends up missing out on the side to accommodate Ziyech? Because I don't I, I don't see where his um, I don't see him quite as a as a natural wide forward. Um, I certainly wouldn't be positioning him there ahead of someone like Hudson Odoi or Mount. Is he is he going to be one of a, a midfield three at Stamford Bridge? Well, I think um, the the two positions he's he's excelled in for Ajax over the last two or three years have been either on the right of a of a front three, but it's almost yeah. been like a four three two one, hasn't it? As one of the creators behind. I'd the also striker. worry about the kind of the different levels of sort of defensive obligation that he would face in the Premier League as well. Because I don't know how good a defender he actually is. Um, in that yeah, well, I, I mean, know. by all by all accounts, he his work rate has um, spiked in the last two or three years, and and that has answered one of the big questions that a lot of scouts had about him is how how hard he's willing to run, um, yeah. how much ground he's willing to cover. So that I th- I don't necessarily have any doubts about that, but where a lot of European clubs did have doubts about Ziek, where I think Chelsea were maybe less concerned than most, is his physique. He's a very lean player, not not necessarily super imposing, and you are going to the most physically intense league in the world. I think that is the big question about Ziyech. Into how, how does he handle the kind of physicality that Eden Hazard had to deal with on a weekly yeah, basis? Yeah. You know, it's, it's very feasible that Ziyech could come in and immediately be in the top five most fouled players in the league, just because of the type <laughs> of player that he is. He's going to be the type of player that defenders want to kick because of the things that he does. So um, how he reacts to that is going to be, I think, a big determining factor in his success. But in terms of where he slots into the team, uh, I I think what he does is he gives Chelsea creation in more positions and a bit more options to play a different way. Um, So he he can play as a a 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, he did that at Stamford Bridge in the 4-4 to, to great effect, especially when he was drifting over to the right-hand side from that position and creating overloads. Um, or he can play off the right and and, and cut inside and, and deliver those kinds of crosses. And I think that's that's one of the things that Chelsea really are looking for is, is, is that quality of ball in the final third because there have been a lot of games this season where they've been funneled out wide yeah. Um, and their crossing hasn't quite been up to snuff and, and Reese James has, has helped address that a little bit because he's he's an excellent crosser of the ball but I think what you could see next season is that Ziyech and James in theory dovetail really well because you would have the threat of Ziyech cutting in on his left foot to, to left swing foot in right an foot. in-swinger yeah. or James overlapping and, and picking you apart the other way and I think that they're, they're looking for a way to, to stretch teams how does um, I mean that's interesting because actually that that pretty much describes every game I've seen at Stamford Bridge this season is it kind of <laughs> Chelsea being funneled into those wide positions and an opposition just banking on the delivery not being good enough um, so if you, if you accommodate Ziyech that far forward how are you adjusting around him like what, what, what becomes the I mean this kind of feeds into Joe's question about what the transfer priorities are in the summer but what becomes the, the midfield three behind it um, presumably Mount is in there Kante's in there Kovacic 
maybe question mark well this this goes to a, I, I would actually have Kovacic as a definite I think he's probably I think he's really improved I think he's been arguably Chelsea's best player this yeah. season Kovacic yeah. he's, he's, he's been absolutely superb and actually what this season has done and we haven't heard too much from inside Chelsea's to suggest this is something they're they're heavily considering but both Simon and I think that that Chelsea really should be asking themselves this summer whether they should sell N'Golo Kante um, he's just turned 29 he's missed 50% of the games this year yeah. he, he, he's a guy who's been so so durable and this has been by far the most injury hit season of his entire career this could be the right time to sell he's the highest paid player in the squad what an emotional moment though hey it would be I mean he's he, he's a lovely guy he's a great player he's Chelsea's only you know undisputed world class player but he's not necessarily a brilliant fit for the direction in which Chelsea are going you saw last season under Sarri that it was a it was a bit of an awkward marriage in terms of style. Um, his best qualities are less valuable to a team that has the ball most of the time. And uh, and Lampard has actually continued largely in the way that Sarri wanted to try and play. And because of that, Kante has still been on the right of a midfield three. He's still been kind of playing a little bit further forward than you would maybe want him to ideally he's been tasked with a little bit more offensive responsibility than maybe he should be and it's not been the ideal fit so I think this could be a good time to sell but it's interesting um, how that also hasn't been the story I mean that that was the the, the lead of the narrative around Sarri not working out at Chelsea was the situation with with, with Kante true or false under Lampard I feel like there's been (laughs) yeah I know under Lampard I feel like there's been um, there's been so much more positivity particularly around young people sorry young players uh, playing in the squad more regularly and of course uh, pretty good uh, results as well and, and under Lampard so it hasn't really featured as part of the story has it but but it, but it is still there yeah it's because of the youth and it's because it's Lampard you know Lampard can get away with doing things that Sarri couldn't because mm-hmm. he's Lampard fascinating um, and also because he's using academy players which is what fans have been desperate to see for years but I, I in answer to the recruitment question this summer, I think central midfielders may be the only position that Chelsea wouldn't be looking <laughs> for a player because there were so many options there and potentially more coming back off loan if you want to incorporate someone like Conor Gallagher or Ethan Ampadu. Billy Gilmore, you know, he, he suddenly catapulted himself into this conversation. Yeah, right. Um, they, they are looking for a left-back. We know that. They, they've they looked clearly at, at Ben Shearwell, the one... The one issue with that is that Leicester are good enough um, and rich enough that they don't have to sell anyone. And if they do, it will be at their price on their terms. Yeah, um, which and, we saw with Maguire. If, exactly. And if you're Chelsea, I think they could have a big budget this 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 transfer window but do you want to spend 60 70 million of that on a left back the interesting We've thing with the, um, with the Maguire deal sorry to interrupt, interrupt I was going to add to the right. point by saying that um, one of the one of the sticking points for United over Maguire was that Chelsea wanted all uh, sorry Leicester wanted all of the money up front which is quite unusual mm. nowadays in terms of how transfer payments are usually paid in tranches I think that might be one of the things potentially that is that is a problem for Chilwell and Chelsea as well that's spending an awful lot of money in one go might hamper what they're able to do elsewhere right yeah it certainly takes away some of that flexibility uh, and and you know when you have alternative left back targets you know a lot of people have talk, talked about Alex Tellez at Porto um, and uh, you know they've been linked to Alexandra in the past I, don't, I think that deal is dead but you know there, there are options in Europe that could potentially be significantly cheaper than Chilwell and, and offer a similar level of production so I think they will go for a left back one way or the other, but whether that whether or not that is chill world depends on I think a number of different factors. They are looking, I think, for a, for a centre back. I I personally think they should go for an all world dominant centre back. You know, if there's any notion that Kulibali is available, yeah, I think they should go for him because they, he seems like so such many, a Chelsea player to me. Well, they've got so many centre backs at the moment who are good, but. I think they're number twos. They're not number ones. They're not leaders of a defence. And that's kind of what Liverpool had as well when they had Matip and Gomez, you know. Um, they, they they had guys who, who were good at doing their own jobs but not necessarily good at collectively organising. And I think someone like Koulibaly 
could really transform the complexion of, of what has been a very shaky Chelsea backline this season. Um, so they they are looking they are looking for a centre back. I think a left sided centre back has been a a priority for them as well. And of course, there's the the question at the other end of the pitch of, of a striker. You know, how good is Tammy Abraham? Is he on a Harry Kane trajectory? Is he is he going to be slightly short of that? In which case, maybe you do want a first choice striker or at least another really good striker to come in and compete with him. What do you think? Uh, I still haven't made my mind up really I think Abraham has already surprised me this season with how good he's been because not so much in terms of his goal scoring because he scored goals at every level of his career but his all round game his link up play his hold up play I think training day to day with Olivier Giroud has really helped him He's he's been a sponge really at Cobham in terms of learning from, from Giroud Morris and Edwards and, and Lampard have done great work with him since preseason in, in rounding out his game. And now he looks like he could be, he could develop into uh, the kind of all round number nine that a top club needs. And um, he's not been as clinical as, as you would like, but he's still super young. And Chelsea have recent evidence in the career of Didier Drogba to show that a player who comes in and is not a prolific finisher can become one over time that is composure is something you can work on um, and so I think Abraham is is a remains a really intriguing project but unfortunately the, the injury that he had um, slowed some of his momentum before everything got shut down uh, we've got to sort of uh, I don't know 45 minutes in this and I haven't asked you about Frank Lampard yet um, <laughs> this is one of my final two questions it probably should have been the first one uh, we I mean uh, again to caveat the season is, is currently on hold we don't know what's happening but Lampard um, has uh, sort of matched expectations exceeded expectations how, how do you feel about his first season in charge are you surprised or, or, or were you expecting this to be the case I think he's done well um, I, I I did predict pre-season that Chelsea would get fourth uh, partly because I, I expected Arsenal and Manchester United to be a total mess behind them um, I wasn't I wasn't expecting Tottenham to struggle as much as they've done <laughs> didn't think Leicester would be Le- third right no. <laughs> yeah exactly no one saw Leicester coming again um, but Lampard's done well I mean I'm, every time you ask him he says he would have preferred to have had the summer transfer window Obviously, that, that, that makes total sense. But it's worked for him in many ways because it, it helped him temper expectations when he walked through the door. It also made him easier, made it easier for him with to justify to the people above him at Chelsea going in the direction he wanted to go in anyway, which was to play these young guys. You know, if you've got the transfer market, if you've got the temptation of going out and spending 50, 60 million on a seasoned international, it's that much more difficult to say, no, I want Mason Mount to be my starting number 10. I want Tammy Abraham to be my starting striker. Um, because they didn't have those external options, they they had um, it. They were able to go youth without really feeling guilty or without people at Chelsea looking at Lampard and going, well, if this doesn't work, you know, you're on the hook for it. Um, And it also meant that when adversity did arrive this season, as it was always going to, he was able to point to both of those things and not being able to sign players at having such a young team as well as uh, selling Hazard, you know. Um, So he's been able to use that and, to his advantage at at different points it is also worth noting that Chelsea still added £100 million worth of players last summer even though they couldn't buy they signed two very good players in Mateo Kovacic and Christian Pulisic Pulisic I think showed some really good flashes before he got injured and and I think he's he's shown enough to suggest that he's going to be a long term building block as well Um, so Lampard has, has generally I think been been on par in terms of his overall performance but in terms of the way he's done it I think the the fans have really enjoyed it they've enjoyed seeing all these young players come through it's been heartening for the academy to see their work finally vindicated at first team level the club feels more connected than it's ever felt and I think it's it's put Chelsea in a stronger position going forward because now they've got an established core which may not be we're, only time will tell if they're, you know, class of 92 good. 
but at the very least you have a homegrown core that can maybe give you some sort of identity going forward where you know since from 2012 to 2019 Chelsea's identity was basically give the ball to Hazard right so yeah. th- this is this is maybe the genesis of something a little bit more substantial Liam what is um what is Frank Lampard's role in recruitment now well funny you should mention that Seb because we actually have a big piece on Chelsea's recruitment going up on the athletic soon um but just to give you a little bit of a, a kind of sneak peek I mean Lampard does have a bigger role, a bigger say than recent managers. Maybe any Chelsea manager since Mourinho the second time. Um, he will he will have a big input in terms of both the player he wants and also telling the club, no, I don't necessarily want this player because we've got this guy coming out of the academy or coming into the first team who's doing really well and I want to I don't want to block his development. So he's got that kind of sway I think because of who he is but also because he's a very talented um communicator and political nav- navigator. He's very good at managing up as well as down. He's been able to to put himself in that position where he can have a little bit more influence. Now it will always be uh, a process that Marina Granovskaya heads up. She is the deal maker in chief. Everyone reports into her. She has ultimate responsibility for getting deals over the line. And Scott McLaughlin, the head of international scouting, he's essentially head of recruitment. Um, he will feed into Granovskaya and he will bring targets to the table that then, you know, Lampard will have his say on. Petr also has a seat at the table, although as far as I understand it, he's not a major voice. You know, he will give his opinion. Um, so it will always be a discussion, but then it will be Granovskaya's responsibility fundamentally as to whether a deal gets done or not. So is um, going forward, does that mean that the position that Michael Amanalo used to fill, does that no longer really exist at the club? It doesn't, no. There's been a restructuring, and I think Granovskaya has absorbed some of the powers that Emanalo had. Um, Czech has the closest job title to what Emanalo had. So Emanalo was technical director, Czech is technical and performance advisor. But the way his role has been explained to me is that unlike Emanalo, he is not he, he does not have any departments of the club reporting to him. Um, he does not have his own network of agents. He's not you know, managing his own relationships outside. No, no one who is looking to move to Chelsea deals with Czech. They deal with Granovskaya. Um, so his his job is more internal in terms of talking to everyone at the club, making sure everyone's pulling in the same direction and communicating with each other. And then he feeds into Granovskaya. He reports to her. Um, is the idea over time for him to sort of is for that role to evolve and him to grow in status within the club? Yeah, so Chelsea haven't been they they don't necessarily want to be tied down to to saying that Czech is like a, a technical director in waiting, you know. No. But he's I, I think it's a more fluid process than that. I think they're they're letting him feel his way into the role. And I think they're naturally they're going to let it be a natural process over time of finding out what his exact skill set is yeah. and where it is best served. What what role is it, what role best serves his skill set essentially? Um, so if that becomes like a technical director, sporting director role, great. If that becomes something else that's a little bit more internally focused, then that would be great as well. They they wanted him involved because he's a very intelligent guy. Um, intellectually and emotionally in terms of managing relationships and and suggesting kind of best practice on different departments and they want to see where where his role goes from there but they're not they're not necessarily going to pigeonhole his his ladder into one particular thing that's interesting um can, can, can i ask you one final question liam which would be 
Um, what are your expectations for, for for next season? I mean, we know, as you mentioned already, that Lampard has had this this sort of um, this interesting first year as a result of the transfer ban, as a result of Hazard leaving, and as a result of him being Frank Lampard. The, the expectations have been sort of tempered a little bit, which is an unusual thing uh, for a club of the status of Chelsea, who I think have been expected to at least challenge for the title almost every season for the last 10, 15 years. Is that going to be the case again next year? Or do you think that these sort of tempered expectations will continue and that the supporters and the the, the top of the club are, are on board with this as a, a transitional and, and growing process? Yeah, so I think we have to preface this by saying that we still don't know whether Chelsea are going to be a Champions League club next year. And that determines, I think, a lot of the way that they look at next season. But um, I think they there will be an element of welcome to Chelsea for Lampard you know going into his second full season in charge there will be an element of this is the real job now this is the full pressure of this job this is everything that it can throw it throw at you with the transfer market um, with the with the proper undiluted expectations and um, and and that will be a big test for him as a young coach but Chelsea as a club I think will be looking maybe not necessarily to 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 win the Premier League title next year because there is such a big gulf in terms of points over the last two years between Liverpool, Manchester City and the rest. They have raised the bar to an unprecedented level and that Chelsea recognise that as much as everyone else. But at the same time, I think there is a real optimism about the young group that they have and what they can do to add to it. And I think there's a feeling around the club that over the next two to three years they can build something very special um, and that they can bridge that gap. So I don't think they're necessarily looking to bridge it next season, but I think there will be an expectation of progress and maybe getting a little bit closer and, and maybe not being in the conversation of hanging on to fourth for dear life and maybe looking up rather than over your shoulder in that conversation. Hmm. Hey Liam, thanks so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate that. And well, um, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I will tell people in the intro and uh, in the mid roll to go and check out your writing on, on the Athletic, which is which is fantastic and, and really worth reading. Um, yeah, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again in the future when the football has begun again. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Feel, feel free to edit out my stumbles and waffle <laughs> no I'm going to leave them all in yeah. even that in the middle where someone came into your house with the intercom yeah. super right brilliant thanks so much and um, we will be back next week with another episode something the similar but I don't know what it is yet cheers bye bye